Hello, Husky Nation. Welcome to this week's episode of On Second Thought with Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven channel. I'm your host, Kayla Owen. With me, I've got some pretty big names. This one's going to be a fun conversation. The first time all four of us have actually kind of talked and done a show together with me, you probably recognize them. It's John Garcia from SI All-American. You know him, Trevor Mueller. He has Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast, does a lot of that recruiting wrap up. He's also a Sports Illustrated's Husky Maven channel and Mike Martin as well. He co does everything. Basically, you know him. He does a lot of the articles. So great to have us all together. And what better way to really have our first conversation than to talk about something that's now a first in the college football world. It is that name, image, and likeness ruling that the Supreme Court passed. And Trevor, I want to start with you because you talk to a lot of these kids and after they're finished in college and hear their stories, you've done the research on it. I've seen your articles, but a lot of Husky fans weren't really familiar with this impact that the name image and likeness had on some players until let's look at August of 2020 when a bunch of Pac-12 players some of those were led by Washington Huskies Elijah Molden and Joe Tryon to name a couple and said we want this and we demand this we want to be compensated so where does it really stem further than from there because it goes way back yeah, it really does. And it goes all the way back, actually, uh, with Husky fan. I mean, we, we can go as far back as you want with um, amateur athletes in college. But uh, I did an interview with Detlef Shrimp, you know, back in the 80s, where his car, he told us, was basically more duct tape than it was car. And that's how he got from where his host family was in Centralia back to Seattle when he wanted to go home or if he wanted to travel or really do anything outside of the confines of uh, heck ed and, and the rest of the university. Uh, then fast forward, of course, to Noah Dickerson, David Crisp, and Matisse Theibel, all being freshmen together. They all had bikes at their basketball student house. But through that summer of training, those bikes just, like got stolen from here to here. And then by the end, they didn't have any bikes. They didn't have any money to go buy new bikes. So they were walking everywhere. That takes a toll on an athlete who say, you know, wakes up, goes to practice at 5 a.m., walks around a big campus that had more than one zip code for people who don't know. It's not a small campus. So that right. is a lot of walking around to do and to not have a bike because the athletic department can't give them one. They don't come from money to just buy one. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, fast forward to what really got this conversation started about a decade ago was Ed O'Bannon from uh, the 1995 UCLA Bruins championship uh, run with uh, him going to a friend's house uh, whose kid was playing an EA Sports NCAA basketball game with uh, a, 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 a legendary team that had a lefty that looked exactly like him that had the same number and the same moves. Yet he got paid nothing for that 10, 12 years after he had graduated from college. And people say the Pac-12 doesn't do anything or bring anything to the table, right? There right. you go. UCLA alumni kind of going full circle with that. And going over to you, John, because you're one of the most well-versed Sports Illustrated figures in terms of knowing basically everything about everybody in every school. 
So who are the winners and who are the losers now? If you're kind of looking at the big picture, getting away from Washington, but now to here and Washington's recent commit, Emeka, he basically said the name image likeness in Seattle. That is a reason why I'm choosing you. It's one of them. It's not the only reason, but it is one of them. So how is there winners and losers in this? I think you're on the right track right there, Kayla. It has to do with the markets. Um, if you're not already that blue blood, that brand name program, your markets now to, to go to more of a pro model will be more of a selling point. We're seeing Rutgers taking advantage of it in the New York City metro. Miami has laid out a lot in that metro, and they're starting to pick up a lot of out-of-state prospects, which is not something that they've always done in volume. Uh, so we're seeing winners in big metro areas, Seattle with UW, of course. And I think that's something we're going to see continue uh, to, to blossom uh, really in the LA area. I expect UCLA to try to close the gap with USC. USC has always been national. We're seeing that more prevalent this year. It seems like every other top prospect in Georgia is looking at the Trojans. NIL, uh, or excuse me, NLI has, so I, I had it right the first time. Name, image, likeness, not national letter of intent. That's going to happen <laughs> at least 15 more times. Um, we're seeing them taking advantage of it with their whole boulevard bound uh, concept elsewhere in the Pac-12. Oregon's doing a really good job with it. I know that was a big reason why they've been able to dip into the South. So it's the combination of recognizable college brand and or market that has a lot of programs winning. But the beauty of this, Kayla, is we're seeing it downsized. We're seeing it from a micro perspective as well. I've seen uh, FCS players in different sports uh, get signed by companies. Barstool signed a, a, a woman's volleyball player from Jacksonville State. Um, so some local colleges are doing a little bit more with athletes that have a niche following, whether it's lacrosse, wrestling in the Big Ten, uh, elsewhere. So we're seeing wins a little bit of, of everywhere, especially with those who have a large following. Uh, but it's early. We're only two weeks into this, barely. So we're still learning a ton, seemingly every single day. Uh, with name, image, and likeness. So there's still a lot of dust to be settled, but certainly the, the prospects, the players, the student athletes, they are the winners pretty much across the board. And you touched on it very briefly, but it's something maybe not everybody was really thinking about is, is it going to be the football players and basketball, those big sports, the ticket sports, Washington only charges students to go to a football and a men's basketball game. They don't charge to go to a women's basketball game, a softball game, baseball game, track and field, like you were saying. So how much does that basically affect? We're talking about these winners. Are those main sports overall the winners while others may, might be losers in the long term? I think that's where the bigger questions come in. That's the battle still still to be fought, frankly. You know, the, the Supreme Court ruling you referenced earlier was unanimous. It was historic. Everybody recognized, hey, th these players need compensation. So now the greater fight is ahead of us. Uh, and it'll be kind of like everything else when it comes to Capitol Hill, one side versus the other, extreme differences. You're going to have the, the side that says everybody deserves a certain percentage. Everybody deserves a minimum. Everybody deserves a piece. And then you're going to have the other side say, look, you're, you're only owed what you can get. You eat what you kill. Whatever your value is determined by someone else that's what you're able to earn. And that's kind of it. You know, where do you factor in the revenue for the schools and the athletic programs that those are the bigger fights that are going to be 
a lot less unanimous than, than the initial ruling, but we're, we're, the door's open. The, the first step has been taken. So I think everybody has the potential to be a, a winner. And I also think it's important to remember, we all went to college at some point, right? When you're in college, you know, winning doesn't always look the same. You know, sure, uh, you know, a big company could sign, you know, a Trevor Lawrence type of prospect to, to $100,000 and everyone could recognize that as a win. But I know when I was in college, 20 bucks seemed like a win. So it's all relative to, to where you're standing and, and where you're at. But I think the bigger fights are certainly still to come to determine what you said, who are the real winners at the end of the day. And then to kind of even expand outside of the realm of all these big schools, small schools, this is basically essentially like an NFL 2.0 if you really look at things. Just today, Travis Kelsey, he partnered with Walgreens to endorse COVID vaccines. And now we're kind of seeing the same thing from other athletes. I've seen endorsing pens, <laughs> endorsing pens. It could be something as small as that and as big as that, but that almost is a mere reflection of each other of, is this NFL 2.0? I think that's where, where it's always going to lead to when you start compensating. And look, especially with this sport, you know, football, you know, football in America reflect each other in, in such a, a consistent way um, that it was always headed towards that NFL model. Uh, I think the transfer portal was a big step towards a, a free agency type of structure that, that still made sense for collegiate athletes. There is a lenience, there is a benefit of the doubt that, that the portal has created uh, with, with college rosters. And a lot of college coaches hate it, but, but it's just part of, of the growing narrative. And I think uh, NIL comes in right after that appropriately. Uh, I think all of it is continuing to head in that direction because all the money comes from, from the same place, right? Ticket sales, TV money, just like the NFL. Um, so why not lump them in with apparel, sponsorships, endorsing the pen that you mentioned? Uh, why not? Why not allow that or at least the possibility of that? And I I think for a lot of athletes, that's what they wanted. They just wanted the opportunity to be able to do something. You know, th those other fights are still going to be had, but it was always working, you know, where the money's at, like, like everything else in this country. TV money, ticket sales in the number one sport in this country, which is, of course, football. I'm just happy to get some NCAA football video game back here with EA Sports. That's what, I, that's what I'm excited about, being able to choose who I want to play and when. Mike, let's get you involved because we're talking about all these great things. Players can now afford bikes when they get stolen. They get all unlimited pens for all of their schoolwork. Come back to this pen one just because it's pretty funny. But what could possibly go wrong? Because while it was passed unanimously, like John was saying by the Supreme Court, there's those big questions that we were talking about, but there's also, it's not all going to be rainbows and sunshine and smiles. There's going to be some things that go wrong like everything else. Well, and John brought up a great point. Uh, everybody just wanted the opportunity. And what I think could go wrong is something where th the opportunity is there, but not everybody has the same opportunity. Uh, the center, tell me who the center was five years ago for the Huskies, and then tell me who the starting quarterback was for the Huskies five years ago, Okay. You probably could not tell me that it was Coleman Shelton, but you could tell me that it was Jake Browning. So the opportunities will not be equal, but the opportunities will be there. Will that lead to uh, where there's a, a little bit of jealousy, where a, a big name like Sam Heward or Jake Browning or Jacob Eason 
is out there bringing in six-figure endorsements while uh, while the center is still having to duct tape his uh, Ford Fiesta to get to, to get back to uh, Centralia. Those are the things that that could go wrong on a team is it could become very divisive. Where John said the comment like yeah yeah eat what you kill, uh, but you know not everybody is out there where they can get after uh, the, the same same type of endorsement deals. And then you brought up a great point about quarterback centers, even defensive linemen. Some people who, like Vita Bea, for example, was a big name at Washington, but basically just Washington fans instead of kind of more of a broader audience, right? So that changes a little bit, which kind of ties back into what John was saying about a metro area, kind of those bigger names, a lot more opportunity to share the wealth and everything like that. But Mike, now what kind of happens with scholarship athletes and ones who aren't on scholarship? Those ones who aren't on scholarship really are not going to get that kind of playing time or the look. How are they going to go about, you know, maybe saying, hey, I want a piece of this pie if, say, the team doesn't share the wealth and kind of distribute it evenly? Well, what it comes down to, Kayla, is companies, when they want you, they want a return on their investment. They're investing in you to endorse, endorse their pen. So everybody wants to buy the pen that Jake Browning is doing to do his homework. They want to do all of these things. When they're not getting that return on investment, uh, initially there's a burst, there's a flurry of activity on some of the things on the, the you know, all these schools that are doing these things that everybody's getting $6,000 if you're a Miami hurricane. That's great. You can now... Uh, get a new paint job on your Ford Fiesta. You can do a lot of things with that $6,000. But it's, it's, I think when the dust settles, they're going to take a look at it and go, you know, these guys are not giving me a return on, on the investment. And a lot of those things, just like in the NFL, you couldn't tell me who the right tackle is for the, for the Seahawks last year because nobody – outside of Seattle new, and he doesn't have any endorsement deals. He's not out there endorsing pens. The same thing is going to happen to, uh, to schools like Washington, where there are two, two, uh, two major universities in the state. California, they have four NFL teams. They have four major universities. The, when things are diluted so much, it's not going to filter out to the centers, to the guards, to the tackles, to the defensive tackles. It's going to go to the guys that are going to the end zone and they're throwing their W up or they're, uh, they're making a sign, hey, I, you know, letting people know they endorse that or they're going to do, uh, I'm endorsing some breakfast cereal now. So it's going to have sort of that type of, of effect on, on everybody all the way. And I think initially we're going to see a burst, but I think that where they're not going to get the return on and the investment uh, is, is down the line where it's going to impact. Now for the rowing team for Washington, a national rowing team, uh, you're going to see uh, from both sides, males and females probably endorsing poles or poles or oars or, or different things like that. But I think in the long run, um, a lot of these other sports, they're not going to, really feel the impact 
of these things. While we're talking about this impact a little bit, Mike, and on these players and the programs, long-term effects five years down the road, how do you think this is going to alter, if any, it, it might not be, but your opinion on it, kids deciding to leave early so or stay all four years because they're making in money with these endorsement deals. How do you think that really changes that big picture now? I could see somebody that is um, pulling in some decent money. And what happens is, you know, they go, they're the big fish in a small pond. So they're making an endorsement. Do they go to a uh, big pond and become a small fish? Um, I don't think that somebody, if they're going to be first, second, third rounder, is going to pass up that, that money. Maybe someday somebody that's going to be an undrafted free agent, maybe he stays, becomes the big fish, uh, and stays for, uh, for the entire duration of, of his eligibility. That's a great point. And it's one of those things, kind of like John was mentioning on those questions, time's going to tell. We don't really have all the answers just yet, and we probably won't for quite a while, to be honest. <laughs> So Trevor, we really started with you, the background, but we've heard a bunch of other things. What are your final thoughts on this? No, I think that obviously it's long overdue. Um, the fact that schools, businesses, corporations have been able to make money on these players for such a long time without having to compensate them outside of, you know, that little bubble. You know, I today I was even driving and I saw people walking around, it's hot out. They had stopped at Dutch Brothers and gotten some cold drink. And uh, that's not necessarily available uh, to these kids if they always have to be stuck at the university. And that's just not how people work. People like to move around, they like to experience, they like to travel. So allowing them an avenue to be able to live their life outside of the university campus, I think is a net positive. John, kind of final thoughts from you, and I don't think anybody did, but have you heard of any athlete maybe not being a fan of this NIL? I almost called it NLI just, just because we're on that train. <laughs> yeah, like I said, that's going to be my, my thing for the next however many years. Uh, I have, actually. I've, I've heard of a few established college players that that are entering that year where they're projected in the first or second round, and they're like, I'm holding off. I'm holding off because some of these deals, and this is, there's a whole lot of gray area to get to in this discussion, but some of these deals have terms on it that are longer than the eligibility of the player. Um, so as Mike was saying, if, if you're the backup and you're a freshman, that's great. You would love to sign a four-year deal, but if you're about to be a first round wide receiver, you're not signing anything that's more than what, five, six months long. So I have seen that elite level of college prospects. So sort of hold back and say, let me just wait six more months and be clean and then go into the NFL draft and then go from there with any type of endorsements. It's not like they could uh, you know, avoid these companies. They can build a relationship now and not put pen to paper, but obviously that's the, the, the minority of, of players in the situation. Most of them are absolutely available. We all saw the copy and paste the DM message that pretty, pretty much every athlete has put up. Even some high school athletes mistakenly have put that up. So I think it's going to be positive for everyone, but there is a little bit of internal pushback from that elite prospect. But like anything else in business, 
It's going to come down to who's in your camp, who's in your ear, and those that are advising you, which is where, again, the accountability will bounce right back to these universities to, to educate. You know, financial literacy is a big issue in this country in general, uh, and this hopefully accelerates a little bit more education in that direction. I feel like I kind of steered your final thought by asking you that question. It had kind of just popped into my head, but do you have any other final thoughts on this discussion that we're having? Yeah, Kayla, there's there's so much to be determined. Uh, like I said, we're two weeks into discovering what, what is possible, but the fact that it is possible, I think is overwhelmingly positive. Yes, uh, you know, there could be jealousy like Mike alluded to, absolutely, uh, within a locker room and maybe it creates more division, uh, but those are tangible issues that could potentially be solved. And I think this door opening is really important for, for athletes at, at every level. Uh, I think it's important to have that chance to make a couple bucks doing what, what you love to do. That's, that's the American dream, isn't it? It really is and so great for these kids to get that opportunity to profit off of living out their dream while playing on Saturdays in front of thousands of people and on national television. And it's going to be one of those things, like you said, we're probably really going to see the culture from each of these programs, whether the culture is accurate to what they represent or what they say, whether it's not, because yeah, I'm probably going to say there might be some of that jealousy issues going on. Who knows? I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. Mike, your final thoughts. I know you always give the best ones, which is why I had to squeeze in there super quickly. So you go ahead and wrap this thing up. Well, when Don James came to the University of Washington, one of the very first things that he got rid of was uh, different colored helmets. That if you made a great play, if you were a captain, you wore a different helmet. And uh, the, the coach before Jim Owens would put stickers on the helmets. And there were a lot of different things to sort of single out players. And Don decided that he wanted to have everybody viewed equally, treated equally, because nobody is more important than anybody else on the team from the guy that's bringing out the water to the quarterback that is throwing the pass the linemen he wanted all to be treated equally and and so that may be a, an old way of thinking i don't think it is i think that um you know maybe we'll see teams where everybody uh all the endorsement money comes in we're going to pool it like at Starbucks, the tip jar, and it's going to just get distributed to the players. Um, you know, we, we don't know, you know, some of those, those things, we may see that, we may not see that. Um, I think that it's, it's a good thing that this has happened, where I see sort of, uh, again, going back to the what could possibly go wrong, uh, is a return to SMU, where uh, where guys are getting cars, they're endorsing a car company, and magically uh, bags of money start showing up uh, in the car. So I, I, I see that this is going to have to be uh, monitored, changed, adjusted, modified. Uh, it's it's not going to be, I think, the same thing that we're going to have in maybe two or three years time. So what we have now, I think, is a step in the right direction. Um, there's going to be missteps along the way, but I'm happy that these kids aren't going to have to duct tape their bumpers together to get down to Centralia. 
we're going to have to all get together and have a on second on second thought to really see how what we've said came true or not. And if some people don't like this, you can at least go out and buy your favorite players jersey names instead of just having to have generic numbers. There, it's a win-win for everybody. Kids are getting paid. Fans are getting the jerseys that they want. Everybody's back to playing football in 100% stadium. So there's always just so much to look forward to. And now kids can profit off of that out of a sellout. It just makes the games that much more exciting. So what do you think about the NIL? Let us know in the comments. Also, don't forget to check out si.com slash college slash Washington for tons of more great preseason content because the season is quickly approaching. Until next time, I'm Kayla Olin. He's John Garcia. He's Trevor Mueller. And he's Mike Martin. Go dogs. Go dogs. Come on, John. Go college football. <laughs> Go everyone. Go get paid. Go get paid. Go Cowboys and I'll be happy. <laughs>